Good morning, everyone. If you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to continue our lessons there in 1 Corinthians 11. As we have been reading Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we have noticed that he has been addressing many divisions that there are in the church at Corinth itself. And we said after those, uh, we noticed that after those first uh, four chapters that he now has this laser-like focus on very specific things. And uh, of course, in chapter 11, starting in verse 17, there is focus is on the Lord's Supper. Now, as many of you already know, the Lord's Supper is very near and dear to me. I, I believe that over the over the ages and over the times, we have we have almost lost uh, much of its purpose and its intent in the way that we uh, that we observe it, in the way that we even sit and think about it in the pew while we're partaking of it. I think that I think uh, we have. Uh, in many ways weakened it. And I, and I love the fact that, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is addressing this, this one element of the Corinthian brethren, telling them that that's exactly what they have done as well, even back then. So long ago, the brethren were guilty of division because they were not, uh, handling the Lord's Supper in the proper way. And when I read this over, I thought to myself, you know, I look at the first century Christians and I look at us and I think to myself, you know, we can be rather arrogant. We can be rather prideful. It's just a human, it's a thing, you know, with humanity. We can look at ourselves and we can think that we're perfect. And I, and I find that interesting. You know, you would never have anybody say, hey, I think I'm perfect. <laughs> you don't have anybody that just stands there and says that. But the way that we act about things, sometimes we, we truly show that's what we think. And with the Lord's Supper, I get a feeling sometimes that we think that it was perfected back in 1938 or something. You know, we perfected the way that we handle it and observe it back in 1938. And we've been doing it the same way ever since. And so it's perfect now, just like it was perfect then. And that is perfectly prideful. Because the Corinthians were the first century of the church, and they had it wrong. So how could we think that we go thousands of years into the future, and no, we're good. You know, I think that's that's a dangerous position to be in. I think it's a dangerous mindset for us to be in with regard to anything that the Bible teaches. And we have to focus on what the Bible says. And not worry about anything else. Not worry about how Granny did it. Not worried about how Daddy did it. Or how they did it when I was a kid. Not worry about that. Those are traditions. Those are customs. They mean nothing. All that matters is the Word of God, right? And so when we look at this, we also learn, uh, the Corinthians teach us a lot about divisions. And one of the things about divisions is that we think we are perfect. And when we start thinking that way, that's the kind of food that division feasts on. And that's what we have to watch out for. We cannot think of ourselves in that way because divisions are going to happen. As I read the Corinthian letter, and we've read these first 10 chapters and part of chapter 11 together, the one thing that I do see over and over again as I read it is that division is something that you can't stop. 
And I think that's a sad thing, isn't it? Division is a sobering inevitability. It's our nature. As human beings, we are set to be prideful, like I just said. We are set to think we are right in everything. And don't you dare question me, boy or girl or whatever. Whether you've got scripture or not, I do not care. You are questioning me. And I know what the scripture says. And I'm perfect. And that's the way we tend to look at things. And it blows me away. Because the way I tend to look at things is the way I see and hear other people look at things. And it's the most dangerous way that we can be. We have to count on what God has written and abandon what He hasn't. But we don't look at it that simply. And so, we look at ourselves and say, you know, we're not divisive. That's not us. That's not the way I am. That's, that's, that may be the way you are. <laughs> but that's not the way I am. And we look at ourselves and we think that's not going to happen. But our natures suffer us to be thus deluded by ourselves. We're delusional. You know, we're thinking to ourselves, I got this right, I do this right, and I has nothing to do with it. And we also have a trouble, I think, all of us, myself, you, everybody, thinking that just because we're sitting in the pew, we're good. We're genuine. We are solid, first class uh, uh, Christians because we just showed up. And we sat where we were supposed to sat. And we opened the book when we were supposed to open it. And we closed the book when we were supposed to close it. You know, when that bread came around, I ate it. When that, when that fruit of the vine came around, I drank it. I'm good. <laughs> you know, it's completely delusional. That guy that broke into Earl's house yesterday, I'm sure he was sitting in the bathroom perfectly sure of why he ran in there. But he was out of his mind. And so we look at that and we, and we have to understand we can do this. We can be this way. There could be those among us that are completely ungenuine kind of people. It could be some of us. It could be all of us. And we have to notice that Paul is illustrating that very unnerving fact. Because we can sit here and go, we got this, we're doing good, we got it. we're good, man, we're ready to go. We're right, everybody else is wrong. And we could be dead wrong. That's why Paul demands that we look at it. And we cannot be offended by that. You know, We cannot be offended by the fact that you could be wrong even though you've done something for 62 years. Okay, you could be dead wrong. I could be dead wrong because I've done something for five minutes. That's the nature of being wrong. If it's wrong, it's wrong. doesn't matter how long it's been wrong. How long it's been wrong doesn't make it right. And that's what we have to remember. And so we've got to be careful about that. We can't be angry about it. I have yet to ever do a, a sermon on the principles of what the Bible teaches without somebody getting mad about it. And every time I do a sermon on the Lord's Supper, somebody gets mad about it. So I woke up this morning going, man, I decided to do 1 Corinthians, you know, weeks ago, and I and I get to 1 Corinthians 11, and I went, oops, here we go. It's just like when I had to do the marriage one. I was sitting there going, oop, here we go again. 1 Corinthians 7, we've got to do the marriage one. Exactly as it is written, people get angry. When you do things exactly as they are written, it's odd, but we get offended by that, and we shouldn't. 
We shouldn't get offended. We don't mean to be wrong. We don't mean to be rebellious. We don't mean to be disregarding the Word of God. We don't mean to do that. But Paul demands of the Corinthians and, and across time, by extension, he's demanding of us that we honestly examine and regularly re-examine what we believe, what we say, what we do with regard to the faith. Otherwise, we could fail. And we have to do it in the revelation of the Scriptures. But it's challenging, isn't it? It's purposeful, though. But it's also unnerving. And so there were divisions. There were divisions at Corinth, and there will always be divisions. The question is, what are we going to do about it? So if you look at, at 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verses 17 through 22 with me, I'd like to read that with you. Paul writes, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not for the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Have you ever found yourself pretending that everyone here in this building is a bona fide, true defender of the faith just because they're here? I spent most of my life doing that. So I'm speaking of myself, of course. (laughs) I thought that, you know, to be a Christian is a brave thing. I always say Christians don't just grow on trees and fall into your yard and you just, you know, you don't find them everywhere. Okay, they're very specific people. They do a very difficult and challenging thing and they, and they usually do it with grace and love unlike anything I've ever seen. So I've always been impressed by that. And I grew up thinking that just because you were in the building and you sat in that pew and you were a part of us, You were amazing and you were a genuine defender of the faith. But that's just not true, is it? It's a ludicrous mindset. At the very very least, it's naive. Because humans are just humans. And that could just be me that's, that's, that's wrong. And it's not rude to think otherwise. Because very frankly, it shows itself true over and over and over again. And sometimes it does it in our private lives as opposed to our public lives. One of, one of Somebody this morning could be angry at, at what Paul writes about the supper or how I apply it to our personal lives and they may you know, seek to correct me or something like that without scriptures or something. You know, that happens all the time. Then they go home and they talk mean to their wives or something or they treat their wives like dirt. You know, come on, what's it going to be? Are you going to be a Christian just this part of your life or are you going to be a Christian? That's the question. And Paul is convincing the Corinthians that this is their problem. They can't think they are simply Christians and not be doing everything in their life, private or public, to glorify God through Christ. The Corinthians had taken all the meaning 
out of the Lord's Supper. Now I want us all to look at how simple it was for them to do that. I think that is one of the things we don't concentrate on enough whenever we're looking at this. Paul tells the Corinthians they have taken all the meaning out of the Lord's Supper. And what what did they really do? All they did was make it a meal. Is that a really is that a big deal? You know, think about it. Would you call that a big deal? I wouldn't call it a big deal. I call it a big deal because I read otherwise in the scriptures, but me as a human being, I would think, well, you know, that guy, he's an engineer. So he brought a whole loaf of bread. You know, and and this guy over here, he cleans bathrooms at the apartment house. So so he he doesn't have anything. Well, yeah, it's just the nature of stuff, you know. He eats more, he doesn't, you know, but at least we're all here. It makes sense, right? And see, when we look at it, Paul says they had taken the meaning out of the Lord's Supper by simply turning it into a meal. I want us to be really landslided by the fact that we can take all the meaning out of the Lord's Supper by the simplest of things. And it is a very sobering fact. And we have to be very careful about that. Because we have to take a very serious moment here to see how little it honestly takes to destroy the meaning and and intent of the memorial that Jesus Christ delivered to His disciples uh, just before His death. I hope we can do that. Because that's why they came together. And that's why we come together, brethren, friends, anybody who will hear it. We're not here to listen to me. I mean, if you are, I feel sorry for you because, you know, well, I'm no rock star. Okay, there are so-called preachers that think they are, and they are probably, and people go to listen to them, and they will pay. That's all I can know about that. If you come to listen to me or you came because the singing is good, you're going to be disappointed. You know, or you came because the pews are comfortable, you're going to be disappointed. We come together to partake of the memorial that Jesus Christ delivered to his disciples the day before, uh, just before he died. That's what we come together to do. The rest of it is incidental, it's beautiful, it's a wonderful way to edify and encourage one another. Nobody's doubting that at all. But the reason they came together was to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I remember a preacher years and years ago asking a simple question. Did they do together what they came together to do? For the Corinthians, the answer was no. (laughs) They did not do together what they came together to do. Because some were doing and some were not. Again, we don't like that. We don't like to look at it and see that. Some were partaking of the supper probably exactly right. Some were making a common meal out of it. Some were having none at all. The Lord's Supper was to be delivered and to be partaken of, and some were not partaking of it. Others were taking too much. Others may have been just right. Division. Right? Division is simply an inevitable thing. They were supposed to come together. They were supposed to partake together. And they turned it into a meal to satisfy their own hunger. That's what they did. 
Do you remember John 6.26? In the morning class, we were in John 6.26 a while back, and Jesus Christ fed everybody with that, that few loaves and those few fishes. you remember that? He, he showed them a miracle and fed everybody. <laughs> it was just an incredible miracle. And they followed Him across the sea to the new place He was at. And they couldn't find Him and they were frustrated. And they, find, you know, they were looking for Him. And what did He tell them? You came because of the food. <laughs> he didn't come because of me. I can't tell you how many, how many times that has been the case. What were they doing? They were, they were defying the pattern. And by defying it, they were defiling it. But again, let's remember, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. The division was going to come about. And it's surprising to us, I think, but it's inevitable that we will violate the pattern as they did. Whether we're hundreds of years removed from it, thousands, or just a few days, really, we're going to violate it because we're human. They violated the pattern and they were in the same generation in which it was uh, first observed. And they violated it. And so, what's the pattern? See, Paul tells them, because you're violating it, because you're making it nothing, because you're defiling it, we need to focus on the pattern. See, Paul addresses the inevitability. Because he understands division can't be cured in humans. We can't do that. We are going to divide. It's our natural way. As a matter of fact, the ironic thing about it is you would probably accuse me of division And I would probably accuse you of division. That's the ironic part of it. I can't tell you how many times I've been told, you know, well, if you do that, you're going to divide the brethren. The way it's done, you're already dividing the brethren. We could pat this around all day and sound like kids, you take your toys and I'll take my toys and we'll go home. No. Look at the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures say? Whatever they don't say, you abandon Whatever they do say, you embrace. I mean, it's just that simple. But we make it harder. But it can be corrected if we wish to do so. (laughs) It can be corrected. You know, it's funny. The people at Corinth that I believe were inevitably partaking of the Lord's Supper correctly, do you think they were condemned because they were sitting there with the rich ones who were taking more and making a meal out of it or sitting there with the ones that didn't partake of it at all? Do you think anybody was condemning anybody else because of what they were doing? I would love anybody to answer that question for me. Because the fact of the matter is, no, they weren't. (laughs) The one that didn't get to partake because he wasn't being shared with was not condemning the rest. Okay, The one that was partaking of it correctly was not condemning the rest. Okay, The one that was partaking of too much was not condemning the rest. The point was... Paul said the pattern was being violated. The only ones that weren't violating it were the ones that were partaking of it correctly. But the lesson was for them just as much as it was for everybody else. I think it's terribly important that we remember these things. Division cannot be cured, but it can be corrected. 
If you look at verses 23 and 24, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. As the Corinthians were partaking of the bread, they were not supposed to be covetous of the recipe. You know, hey, as far as unleavened bread goes, this is pretty good. I tell that to my wife when she's in the kitchen cooking, you know, ba- cooking, baking the, the communion bread. I'll go over and I'll snap a piece off of it and I'll go, for communion bread, that's pretty good. But that's in the house. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to sit here and go, you know, while I'm sitting in the pew, go, good job, honey, that tastes really good. You know, that, that is not the pattern, is it? Right? The pattern is, they were supposed to focus on His body which was given. That's the focus. Now, let me ask a quick question. Am I thinking about His body when I partake of the Lord, bread of the Lord's Supper? Are you? Is that what we're doing? Because if we let it go to the pot roast that might be burning in the oven because Joe just was windy today and he went too long, okay? Or we let it go to the fact, you know, did I leave my car running? You know, I don't know. Whatever it is that you want to go to, you know, I, you have an appointment afterwards, you know, it's Easter Sunday, right? Man, am I going to find a place to go and get my burger today? I mean, am I going to be able to sit somewhere in a restaurant, you know, while you're eating? The, the bread reminds you how hungry you are. <laughs> is that what the bread does for you? Division. That's all Paul was saying. That's division. You are divided. Your loyalties are divided. Your love is divided. Your heart and your mind is divided. See how easy it is? See how simple it is to defy the purpose and the intent of the Lord's Supper? All I have to do is think about something else. I don't think about His body given. It should be easy for me to do that. It should be easy for you to do that. Look with me in Isaiah 53, please. In Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 8. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. You know, that that one phrase, I told you this before when we studied from Isaiah. That one phrase kills me. He was acquainted with grief. You know, how many of you are acquainted with grief? You know, you're just, yeah. Every day's hard. That's, That's just the way it is. Every day there's pain. That's just the way it is. Every day there's disappointment. That's just the way it is. What, isn't that sad? How can we not forget? How can we forget a man who was despised and rejected and, to, and ate grief every day and didn't let it stop him? You know, we'll stay home with a headache. You know, this was a man that was, that was acquainted with grief and he couldn't be stopped. Think you can take a few minutes? Think I can take a few minutes to put that little piece of bread in my mouth and remember that? If not, division. 
Look at what it says of him. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is before its shears and is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for this generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken. For the transgression of my people. The answer is no one. No one considered it because they were divided. During the Lord's Supper, His followers consider it. We remember it. Else we are divided from it. Division is an inevitability, isn't it? (laughs) It's just inevitable. And Paul, again, is addressing the inevitability. Let's look at verses 26. Um, Well, no, you're still there. We're not at 26 yet. (laughs) You're still there where we read. The Corinthians were partaking of the wine. Right? The fruit of the vine. They were partaking of that. And as they were partaking of it, they weren't appreciating its taste. That's not the idea. Okay, you may look at it and go, boy, that smells so good. I love grape. Somebody asked me once what my favorite soda is, and I said grape. So you like grape juice? I said no. <laughs> I like grape soda. Grape juice, it, it's, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not a lot I like about it. And it's kind of interesting. But the fact of the matter is, when I drink the fruit of the vine from the Lord's Supper, do I wish I had a grape soda instead? Division. Right? That's the thing. That's the idea. They weren't supposed to be focusing on anything else other than the fact that it was the new covenant in His blood. And hey, it's not a bad idea to go and read that as well. If you go with me to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews chapter 9, please. In Hebrews 9, starting in verse 15. Hebrews 9 In verse 15, Therefore He is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Do you remember the trickle of blood that comes down from his crown of thorns as it passes by his eye? Is that what you're focused on? 
division. Are you focused on the fact that blood came out of his side whenever the spear went in by the centurion and it flowed down the side like the like we often like to think we have this picture in our head? Do we see that? Do we is that what we remember and we feel that's good enough? Division. He says, This is the forgiveness of sins. This is the seal on my covenant. Don't remember it any other way. You've got my body. You've taken the bread. You remember my suffering with that. You remember my body with that. With this, you remember what that did for you. What that does for all the people on all the earth for all time if they will take advantage of it. Again, Paul is addressing the division. Look with me in verses uh, 26 through 34. 26 through 34. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Notice that the the Corinthians were not to do this Lord's Supper anywhere else but in the assembly. Terribly important. He told those people that were eating and being full by the Lord's Supper, He said, if you want to do that, go home. That's the place to do that. This is not the place to sate your hunger and your thirst. That you're not here for that. You're not here simply to make the hunger pains go away. Simply to make the thirst go away. That That is division. Right? That's just like we were talking about all the other things. And leaving that one over there not to take it at all? They're divided from you as well. We always say, well, the Lord's Supper is not a physical thing. Really? Then how come the one that wasn't taking it was pointed out? Can anybody answer that question for me? Just like the one that was eating all of it. Why wasn't it good enough that they were all in the room together? Can anybody answer that question for me? Because that's the defenses I hear. We're all in the room together. It's a spiritual partaking. If it's a spiritual partaking because we're all in the room together, why did he tell them to go home? These are just simple questions. Ones that make us angry. Ones that make us want to want to argue, ones that make us want to debate, but very rarely questions that make us want to return to the purpose and intent of the Lord's Supper. Isn't that absurd? The fact of the matter is what is written is what is written. They didn't do it in a hospital on a camping trip by the lake. They didn't do it by themselves as they were driving along. I told you at one point I wouldn't be surprised if the church had a drive-thru. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. Just, 
one bread and fruit of the vine, please. Okay, that'll be you know that'll be ten percent of whatever you got in your in your in your in your in your pocket. Okay, I'll do that. Boop, boop, take it and drive away. We say that's absurd. That is absolutely absurd. We would never do that. But we might do something like that. Because the absurdity is the division, right? They partook together because they were proclaiming together. And you can't proclaim together from what I see there in the Scriptures unless you're partaking together. Again, if all that mattered was they were in the same place, that's all that would have mattered in Corinth. But it was more, wasn't it? It was much more than that. Only you can answer this for yourself. When we partake of the Lord's Supper today, are you going to partake of it in an unworthy manner? Am I? We know what their unworthy manner was, right? We know that. The Corinthians' unworthy manner was that they made it a meal, not a memorial. They were selfishly partaking of it. They were facilitating division. Some were filled, some got none. There was division. They were not sharing. They were not partaking together. There was division. End of story. That's what their problem was. We beat ourselves over the head sometimes, I think. Just like I believe we can partake of it and, and, and destroy the pattern in the New Testament, I believe we can beat ourselves up for no reason too. Okay, partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner does not mean that we didn't get the words right when we said the prayer. It doesn't mean that we were a little bit distracted by a, a, a you know a spider on the wall. Okay, that, that's that's not what we're talking about here. The kid was crying, and I was like, "Man, can't can't you shut up for two seconds so I can concentrate?" <laughs> that's a typical parent thought, at least in my head. I don't know about you, but in my head, that that's a typical parent thought. That's not what he's talking about here. Because the fact of the matter is, you're never going to be worthy of the Lord's Supper. So, you know, did I sin this morning? Well, yeah, you. I would imagine all of us did. I have to drive, you know, across the mountain to get here. Plenty for me to get sinful about. You know, drivers are mean, nasty people. You know, and so... Sure. Did something go through my head that shouldn't have gone through my head? Was I mean when I shouldn't have been mean? Was I was I short? Was I curt when I shouldn't have been curt? Was I angry when I shouldn't have been angry? Over nothing. Did I get angry over nothing this morning? Did you get angry over nothing this morning? <laughs> that kid didn't have his shoes tied, man. I'm upset. Boy, if that's all it takes, you're in deep trouble. You know, I'm in deep trouble if that's all it takes for me to get angry. Right? Sure. We're never going to be worthy of the Lord's Supper. Ever. We're always going to be a little distracted. Our speech is never going to be perfectly eloquent. It's just not going to be that way. It's not the point. We must always do our best. Do what the pattern is. Be dedicated to that pattern. And not deviate from it. The Corinthians came together for the purpose of being selfish. 
That's what they did. <laughs> That's all there is to it. I remember uh, one time I was having a conversation about the Lord's Supper with someone. And I remembered, you know, sometimes what we premeditate in our minds reveals our mindset as well. I was kind of having a conversation uh, with a Christian, and, and what was told to me is, you know, I've already taken it, why do I have to do it again? <laughs> I was like, wow, really? That's like saying, to, to me, that's like saying, I've already prayed, do I have to pray again? You know, I've, I've already tried to glorify God this morning, do I have to do it in the afternoon as well? You know, it just blows me away that people think that way. Now, I could be wrong. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying it blows me away that people think that way. Because what automatically comes to my mind is why wouldn't you long to do it as often as you possibly can on the first day of the week, like the Bible says. Why they came together on the first day of the week was to do that. Because the Lord's Supper is a time of communion. Or it's division. It's a time that we come together, that we proclaim together, that we partake. It's the reason we come together. And if it isn't, then what is the reason? And that's something we have to ask ourselves as well. These are the things we have to re-examine. These are the things that we have to see. Because we must be a pattern-rich assembly. Because Corinth was not. And that's the lesson there. You know, we might come to the conclusion, well, as long as we're just not making a meal out of it, we're okay, right? Any other way we do it is just cherries and, you know, ice cream. No. Now that would be absurd as well. And so we have to be a pattern-rich assembly. But let's just sum it up in, in this way. What is an unworthy manner? An unworthy manner is when any of us, or all of us, lack thoughtfulness for others. That's what an unworthy manner is. An unworthy manner is the mindset, well, let's get this over with. You know? I remember a preacher many years ago, he got in the car with me and he closed the door and he goes, I need you to take me over to so-and-so's house and I'm expected to be there today, so I want to get it over with. <laughs> and I was like, wow. You know, really? Let's just, let's just get this over with, you know? Oh boy, here's, here's the boring part. Here's, here's the bread. Hurry up. Come on, get through there. Let's go. Come on. Here's the fruit of the vine. Don't drop that. Don't even, come on, come on. Let's go. Let's go. I'm standing here. I gotta get going. Seriously? Seriously. And we see it all the time. That's an unworthy manner. I'm sure of it. I think you're sure of it too. Because this is the reason we assemble on the first day of the week. And how much time and dedication do we place to it? How pattern rich are we with regard to the Lord's Supper? Or are we just doing what we always did? An unworthy manner is a lack of desire to glorify God. That's an unworthy manner. How many times I could tell you... No, actually I couldn't. I could not count 
the many times over my life that I partook of the Lord's Supper as a Christian in an unworthy manner. It's almost like the unworthy manner is there to teach us that. (laughs) In an odd way, it's just very strange to me. How many times have we done that in an unworthy manner? It's not a ceremonial act. It's not just something we need to get it over with. It's not something we just do because after all, we're Christians and we're not like the others that only do it every year or once every month or something like that. We don't do it like that because we got to be different. we got to do it once every week so we're better people. That's not the reason. And those are not the reasons. And that's not why we observe the Lord's Supper. We observe the Lord's Supper to glorify God. We must seek to proclaim His death. To glorify Him. That's the purpose and intent of the Supper. The death of Jesus Christ and what it means is the center of life and is center of worship. And God help us if we are flippant about any of it. Because that is what the Corinthians were. They were flippant. The Lord's Supper had become a meal time based on some important preference of observance. You know, do we do anything by preference of observance? Nah, we wouldn't do that. Are you kidding me? Of course we do. And Paul describes the pattern for them just as he describes it across time for us to consider. And I love the fact that we do the Lord's Supper after the sermon every Sunday. Because for me, I love the fact that we can think and center our minds on Jesus Christ, on the Word of God, for at least, you know, what am I, 40 minutes or so? (laughs) Before we partake of the Lord's Supper. To me, that is a glorious thing. I love it. I wish we could do it longer. You know, I wish you would let me stay up here two hours. No, it's just a joke. I couldn't do two hours. I have notes, that's why I do two hours, uh, 40 minutes now. When I used to preach without notes, I could go on and on and on and on. Yes, most of you remember, yes, I know. Thank you for the shaking of the heads. If, it, if there was Bobby Husband over there, she'd be looking at me going, time to cut it off, big guy. Uh, what was that saying? One brother told me, he said, Joe, it doesn't have to be... Uh, what is it? How did he say that? To be eternal, it doesn't have to be what? What? Right, it doesn't have to be eternal to be immortal. That's what he told me. <laughs> I thought, you smart aleck. Yeah, that's true though. But that's the thing that we are focused on today. And I am so thankful that it, we as a congregation, regardless <laughs> of the other things which we always need to re-examine and work on, I am so thankful that we as a congregation do this after the sermon. That gives us 40 minutes to focus our minds or so on the Lord, on His Word, on His will. And then somebody usually walks up and reads a passage from the Bible. And then we have the bread. And then we, 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 uh, we have the, the fruit of the vine. And then we break a little bit and have another, you know, we just do all, it's just wonderful. And I think we are getting closer, may I say, closer and closer to the pattern that they had. I believe we are getting closer and closer to it. And I think we need to continue to get closer and closer to it. And quit fighting about 
about things that don't matter. But, but work together on the pattern so that we can be a pattern-rich congregation of God's people partaking of the Lord's Supper as He gave it to His disciples. And we're going to talk more about that beautiful scene uh, this evening. And we're going to look at that. And so let's continue to think about that. And so with that, the lesson is yours, it's mine. Uh, The invitation is set by Jesus Christ from the prophets of old to the New Testament uh, to come to Him. That is His invitation that has always been the same invitation that it is today. If you are not baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, I implore you to consider why that's true. And please, fix that. And if you are a a Christian and you've been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, uh, I have, and I say to myself and to all of you, let's make that choice now and not look back to walk, walk this life in a worthy manner in everything that we do. Whatever your need, please let it be known while we stand together and while we sing.